Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We are here tonight for a mega special episode with the one and only Urson Religioso. 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 I can't say, I don't, I'm terrible with that. You are great with uh, screwing up names. Religioso. Mike Reinhold. Mike Reinhold. I'm here with, thanks for tuning in to MMT Live. I'm here with Mike Reinhold. How do you say your name? Dave Tiley. Tiley and Lenny Macrona. How do you say your name? Religioso. I can't say that. You ever speak Spanish? You ever speak Spanish? Religioso. I can't roll my R's, but the G is an H. Should we cut this out and start over? No. No. Religio, I don't know. Relig- I think you said an ISDM technique. It's, too. Re- it's religioso. That's what we. That's I'm how. That's Italian. how we say it in Boston. Right. That's, how, that's how we say it in Boston. <laughs> that's how we say it in Boston. Urson is the Italians. Urson is here live with us. We're also doing something special for the first time. We're actually recording this live on Facebook Live, so you may have seen this already. But this is for the rest of the thousands of people that watch this podcast. So thanks so much for joining us. Awesome to have Urson on here. Urson is one of the studs on the internet. I'm sure you guys know that. The Manual Therapist. Is that your website? What is it? TheManualTherapist.com. TheManualTherapist.com. You know why? Because he is the manual therapist. If you type in the man, it would just autocomplete. (laughs) (laughs) He's tried that. The man is Urson Religio. So, <laughs> really, that was that's fine. All I, right, I grew up in an Italian hometown. Actually, so, that's what I thought my name was. So we are. So Urson's a stud. Urson and I have a product called Instrument Assisted. Uh, what what is it? It's I. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Instrument Assisted Soft Tissue Mobilization Technique. So IASTMTechnique.com, and we're actually getting together because um, we're filming the, the latest version. We're adding some new stuff to it. Um, so we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some stuff. Yeah. Well, by the time this broadcast, I think it's going to be available. So okay. by the time the podcast comes out, so it's available now. IAS. Other than for you as you guys who are watching live, it's not available right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. So yeah. I, I, I You can see some of our new stuff. But anyway, I think we, you know we introduce everybody. Erson's here, but don't forget the rest of the crowd. Dave Tilly's in the house, right? Uh, we're kind of crunching together here to make sure we're kind of on he's Facebook actually Live. Actually, here and not teaching somewhere. Dave, Dave Tilly's actually <laughs> in, in, in America. Oh, nice. Lenny Macrina, obviously hanging out in the back a little bit today, and Jake and Bake, our student extraordinaire from the universe, uh, University of Kentucky. Can you so we're, we're filming a little later in the day than we usually do, so I think we're all a little giddy. Weird. We're a little giddy right now. We've just had a long day. So I think I, I, think I, trained, I trained 13 hours ago, 
So I'm a little, I'm a little tired. But anyway, we got some live questions from our Facebook Live audience right now. And Jake and Bake, you want to go through some? Yeah. Let's, let's, we're going to speed round this, so it's not going to oh, yeah. be our usual discussions, right? We haven't talked about this. We didn't plan. But we're going to speed round this. Let's just go through. We'll answer them and just move on and boom, boom, boom. Let's see what we got. All right, first question. Uh, thoughts on using Speak up, Jake and Bake. Can you guys hear Jake and Bake? Instrument assisted for older patients? Yeah. All right, what is it? Say What's your again. thoughts on using instrument assisted on older patients? Who's it from? On older patients. Who? Lee Blith. Thanks, Lee. I have no. Nick. Nick, Nick, I, Nick, I have no age restrictions on instrument assisted. Yeah, I mean, basically, the indication I say is that someone needs to be aware, conscious, and they need to have intact skin. Because people actually asked me, what about wounds, right? It's like, can you tape over a wound? Right. No, you don't tape over a wound, you don't scrape a wound, you don't mobilize a wound. Have you ever done it on someone unconscious? No. It was, just, I, well, I'm, I'm actually running, I'm commissioning a study that I think it's not going to make a difference. I think part of changing manual, you know, manual therapy is, you know, they have to be aware, right? right. So anyway, um, what about I would say, like that? I would say the amount of force I, pres- right. I, I teach now is you start off as light as possible and then you, then you progress, but very few people will need the force that you think um, they need, uh, it really should be kind of light. I, I, so I, I see what you're getting at. So it's if you're doing instrument, if you haven't gone through our course at iastmtechnique.com, <laughs> if, if you haven't gone through our course and you're still doing the old school bruising of people, I can see how that would matter if you yeah. had an older. But that, that's not how we do it. So, you know, yeah. I would say no. There's one thing I do uh, also teach in my courses. If, if someone actually has skin that is is really loose, which sometimes happens in an older population, if it's actually so loose that you're scraping whatever tool you would use, probably an edge tool, maybe, um, and it just kind of moves just like clothing, you're probably not accomplishing the same thing or, or the thing that you would want, which is skin stimulation um, and getting all that kind of you know good novel feedback into the nervous system because, because it's the skin is just so loose. And, and if it's, again, if it's that loose, I would worry about its integrity. So that's the only thing that I, I kind of, I don't think you should pull it because people are like, well, should I pull it taut and then do it? I'm like, if you have to pull skin taut in right. order to do ISTM, I would say right. that's probably not a great technique to use. Are you, are you stereotyping that only old people have loose skin? it's possible. Oh. <laughs> if you have any population... Remember the question. Skin, to the, qu- the question is, do you do this in, on older patients? I said if an older patient oh, may, right, have, right. may have. Related, but I'd be nervous to cup somebody with looser skin. Right. I don't even know if you'd be able to generate suction. I don't know if I would go for that route. It might be so loose you don't generate... What's next? Right. Next. What's next? the top three CEU courses, workshops uh, that made an impact on your practice? Boom. Top. Knee seminar, shoulder seminar. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for you guys. All right. Well, Dave, also, my courses on MedBridge. Dave, why don't, why don't you start? What's, the, what's your top three influential? I like that's a good question. Who's the question from? Uh, Jay, if you are. Jay, good question. So top three influential courses. I Dave. will say SFMA. SFMA, McKenzie, basic spine and neck. Well, that's two. Oh, that's two. Sorry, McKenzie. Okay. McKenzie. Um, and then I took a gymnastics course. That was really helpful, so it's kind of a good point. Lenny. I will say SFMA. I will say Kineticos, dry needling, and... Tough to say, going a lot of Kevin Wilk stuff back in the day, biomechanics type stuff, just working with him. Love it. Eye opening. E. Uh, I like McKenzie, if you guys uh, obviously know that. Basically, because it tells you how to really 
teach a patient how to do a home exercise program. I mean, it's kind of like you condition a patient that it's, it's all up to me. It's up to you to fix you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the SFMA as well for movement screening. I don't necessarily do all the breakouts, but it's kind of a bit too robust for me. But I think the top tier is amazing, and I think you can glean a lot of information from that. Um, and, you know, if you treat a lot of runners, I, I like treating runners. Uh, Chris Johnson's system of a run is awesome. The way he analyzes, you know, you don't need, like, all kinds of fancy equipment to do running analysis. His four S's. Um, are amazing. So, System of Run, Chris Johnson, ZeroPT.com. Awesome, Mike. Um, I, so, I'd probably agree with SFMA. Um, I think it's a great course to get you to understand how to move or how this to look at... I should say... sponsored by the SFMA. Yeah. They, they, how, well, how to, they all are. How to look at movement, I think that's a good one. Uh, I would 100% agree with Lenny. I'd say Kevin Wilk set the foundation for everything we probably do. He's a good mentor of ours, and his courses are phenomenal. Um, and then after that, um, I'm going to go a little different. I mean, there's a bunch after that. Um, I've actually taken some uh, anatomy trains for manual therapist courses that I thought were very influential on the soft tissue work that I do instead of just being a little bit more, you know, basic. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I would recommend a young clinician. I'd say I that. I think there's a lot of stuff I've, you like know, DVDs I've bought and done that are really helpful. That's true, too. I did yeah. Kevin Welk's shoulder and That's different, yeah. One, so. Uh, a lot of those are pretty good for me, but I just yeah. don't travel a ton. I think all of our amazing programs. I, the knee are seminar awesome. is solid. The knee seminar is solid. Shoulder seminar is not? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's next, Jake and Mate? Jake and Mate. What are your thoughts on strategies for marketing and education for preseason screening programs of high school baseball players? Ma- okay, very specific. So, marketing. I have of, thoughts on this. Marketing of. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my life. Well, so the first thing I would say about marketing for screening for preseason baseball is that you're you're trying to sell what you want, not what they want. Nobody, I don't know any kid that wants that, right? So kids want to throw harder, hit harder, hit further, those types of things. you got to sell a program that helps them with that, and all of our programs do. Our strength and conditioning programs do, our arm care programs do. Everything we do helps them perform better. That's super important, but it also helps them reduce injuries. Sell them what they want, not what you want. I agree. And then they'll buy in, and then you can try to sell them yeah, what that, they need. That's the market. It's the same product that you're selling yeah. them. And you're, the marketing is you got to give them what they want, not what you want. Nobody wants to prevent injuries. Uh, maybe the parents do. The kids certainly don't. Uh, they want it to depends on who you're marketing to. For marketing that's just good parents, marketing for right. any... Any yeah, really. and I shouldn't say, say things so definitely. Nobody, of course, some people do, but you're going to do a lot of bang for your buck if you do a you know a preseason like a, you know something something to enhance performance versus reduce injury. Jake and Bay. All right, James wants to know what is the best explanation to give someone who asks what should my squat depth be? <laughs> hips are all different. Everyone has different hips. Got to respect the anatomy. And previous injuries and goals. If your if your anatomy is different, your goals are different, and your and uh, past injuries are different. We are not all going to squat the same. Jake and Bake. Enough said. Yes. <laughs> I like I only this. answered that one 40 times this week, so I was ready. <laughs> I know. We, I, I feel like I Three did. Three patients today. I was showing, I grass. showing pictures yeah. of uh, the hips to everybody yeah. online. All right. Um, Natalia wants to know any love for anatomy trains or structural integration. Any what? Have you been anatomy listening trains. to this podcast? No, no. Any love? Any love for anatomy trains? Or structural integration. I, I, I love anatomy trains and structural integration. I don't know enough about structural integration. Yeah. Uh, anatomy trains is great. I, 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 structural integration. I think the cool pictures. 
Yeah. Structural integration and rolfing is is my preferred manual therapy technique for what I do for soft tissue. Just just in terms of the techniques they do. That's it. I mean, that's, I'm not. We don't have to dig deeper into that. I, I like that style, and that's what I I've gravitated more towards personally. Yeah. I think things like that get you treating further away or more distal than whatever the patient's complaint is, and anything that gets you to do that, similar to what the SFMA may get you looking at movement in other places than where they hurt, I think anything that gets you looking more globally um, is quite worthwhile. Well said. Jake and Bay. Andrew wants to know your thoughts on grip strength measures correlating to cuff strength in pitchers, and if it can correlate to uh, like an early predictor for injury. Lenny, have you seen that? I haven't seen anything. I think it's a great thought. I think that we're missing something big with grip strength, and we need to probably look at it more. But I haven't seen anything. I, I don't think it correlates. I don't. Know. I don't want to get it. with predicting. Correlate, but yeah. I, I, I like. I don't the think so. Overload principle of that. The but. only possible thing I could is using grip strength for like readiness and recovery. We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, mikerinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my Inner Circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeRinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. Yeah, like but that's that. that's but not that's, what he's asking. But I, I totally. Well, no, he's he's he's. It does grip strength correlate to cuff strength? Yeah, I would I would that's say right. I would say no, but I think. Does it correlate to injury? If you have a twenty percent reduction in grip strength, you probably have an ulnar nerve issue. So you're probably already injured. Hands wasted. Maybe you don't know it yet. That's okay. I don't know. I don't. Th- have you done any research on that? No. I I haven't done it. I personally don't. I don't think I've. Yeah. I haven't looked at it, but I, I've looked at both individually, and I don't think they correlate. To strength or to prevention? Grip, I thought to, it was cuff strength. To, to, cuff strength? Does like, grip strength well, correlate strength? to cuff strength? I thought it just correlated to... Grip strength? Like uh, <laughs> facilitation of the cuff, not necessarily strength. Cuff strength. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of what I was alluding to. Yeah, but potentially there's some kind of weird connection, but I don't know. I don't know if that's like strength. strength. I think we're looking for a quick yeah, test. I don't think it's strength, but I think it's facilitation. Right, like yeah. it... They showed that you know grip strength or you know grasping with that thermometer. I don't know. It must have been an EMG study. It actually significantly changed the EMG of the cuff, but I don't right. know if that correlates to strength or injury prevention. Right. I don't think it correlates. I to can't imagine contraction people versus throw a lot and their shoulders tired. They can't necessarily grip. I don't know if I'm seeing the. I don't know. I, I, yeah, Jake and Bay. All right. How do you describe to a client the difference in value and approach between a PT manual therapist and a chiropractic treatment? That's like two different worlds. Yeah, it's like saying, "Do you want to have pizza or Chinese food for dinner tonight?" I think. Yeah, is that good? Might be good. Worlds, yeah, different treatment bases, two different both are good backgrounds. I mean, yeah. it's just like different backgrounds, and they may overlap in people who have branched out. Yeah, yeah I mean, both are good. Just say that uh, there's a lot of overlap in either profession. If you go see the right PT or the right Kyle, you're probably going to get great treatment. You see, the, right. you can see there's a lot of bad in each profession. There's right. the bell curve in every profession. You want to stay to the right of the curve. And in general, uh, there are a lot of PTs and Kyros who can see you forever. You know? Yeah. And yeah. you want someone who's going to discharge you. You want someone who's going to like give you a plan to take care of yourself. Right? Yeah. Jake and Big. All right, Sean wants to know if you have any thoughts on treating Sydney, uh, Sydney Larson Johansson syndrome. I do. It's a growth plate. Is. So it's a growth plate <laughs> detachment of the inferior pole of the patella. Patella. Yeah. Or we use gymnastics. 
Overused. Um, Don't so, jump. <laughs> yeah, don't stop moving. Stop jumping. Uh, stiffness quad is usually a big one. Pro- improper landing mechanics. Overuse should probably be number one. Load is greater than yeah. capacity. It's overuse. Yeah. It's overuse probably during a growth phase or something. Like right. Overuse from a it's, quantity it's, or a quality based measure. Uh, oh, right, right. So okay. Check their soft tissue, check their skill profile, and then sometimes measuring them, tracking their peak height velocity, you can pick up on like, whoa, you're growing four inches, long bones more than. But ultimately it's just shutting them down. From yes. The, uh, it's, it's, it's overload. Stop doing so much and then do that. Yeah. When do they get this? It's like 10, 11, 12, it's usually 12, 13, 14. It correlates with peak height velocity because their growth plates are open the most. Yeah. But usually it's an adolescent or a younger right, right. Kind of teenage person. Yeah. So like Sidney Jarson Hansen is here, Oscar Slaughters is here. And then they have seven No, actually, That's it's like right, right here. here. <laughs> Not so much here or here, but right here. Take it, baby. Go. Uh, Got him. At what intensity do you train the rotator cuff? In, Hard. In, intense. Take it, baby. We we train the rotator cuff intensely. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're asking if we use two pound weights. Three pound weights now. Yellow I mean, fair band. Yeah, you our, paradise like everything else. We paradise our athletes get up. They're doing 10, 11, 12 plus. Like, but if they're like, you know, six weeks out of a rotate or eight weeks out of a rotator cuff, and you can do strengthening, then I'm doing active range of motion on one pound. So yeah. it depends on the athlete. If it's a healthy one. All right, I'll rephrase the question for you. We don't have a limit. Correct. Because that's a common question. Is there a limit with what you use a weight for rotator? Like the magic number is five. It seems like you can't go higher than five. And the, but people used to say the deltoid takes over. That one cracked me up with no evidence. If you go if you go 5.1 pounds, it's all deltoid, <laughs> not rotator cuff. It's a, that, that's what people used to say. Um, we actually did a study. We never published that because I got so sick of publishing my EMG studies. Those were so awful. So sick of publishing studies. Well, no, the EMG studies are awful. Uh, but but anyway, yeah. we did we did. Did a study looking at that, and and it, that, it, that doesn't happen. So we do not have a limit. If that perhaps paraphrases your question, Jacob Big. Sean wants to know how has the MDT helped with differential diagnosis? Is for you. I wouldn't say it has helped with differential diagnosis. The thing is, most people don't need a differential diagnosis. Most people are going to respond. MDT's research has pretty much shown that anywhere between 80 and 87% of people, no matter how long they've had pain, even up to a year or more, they're still going to respond rapidly. They call it derangement. I call it rapid responder because I don't want to be sued uh, for patent, for uh, trademarks. Um, that's that's trademark? Really? Well, certain wow. things are trademarked. I don't think they trade trademark derangement, but MDT has been trademarked. Right. Can you explain um, what it is? Mechanical diagnosis and yeah. therapy, it's, it's McKenzie method. It's repeated motions, repeated loading strategies, looking at how someone actually, like someone comes with a back pain, you put them through a series of repeated motions in different planes, and one motion is likely to make them worse, one motion is likely to make them better, and then you kind of base your whole home program off of that. And it's, it's very hands-off until the patient needs hands-on. People think it's hands-off. Totally it's not. It's just that most people uh, respond without the need for hands-on. You know, I kind of take that a step further. I say everyone needs hands-on because it just gets them... It's like if someone has pain doing press-ups or chin tucks, I'm not going to say, oh, it's fine as long as it doesn't get worse. I'm going to do something. I'm going to scrape them. I'm going to manipulate them. So it's pain-free because I want them to leave there feeling confident their home program is going to make them feel better, not make them feel worse. Um, does it help with differential diagnosis? If they don't respond to repeated motions, uh, then I might do further testing, but a lot of people respond to repeated motions because people are just going to respond to movement, period. Uh, the majority of people are going to respond to movements. Um, but it doesn't teach you to diagnose things because for years they're saying we're getting away from the disc model, we're getting away from the disc model. Regard- and 
You know, it's it's not like it's not the jelly donut theory anymore. That's why Arson's the man. Jacob Bake. Jacob Bake. Michael Moore. Moore. Michael, Michael Moore, Moore? Yeah. the director. <laughs> What do you feel about him? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a Trump-related question? Yeah, what do you feel about Trump? Tim! Tim! I want to know if anyone has been exposed to I-A-O-M. I-A-O-M? I, I, I have not. I have not. Dan Pope just recommended their elbow course. Dan Pope took the elbow course. It was elbow? really good. Elbow? Yeah. Okay. He was treating a lot of these people. Yeah, there, yeah, so seriously. He said it was really good. That's yeah. all I've heard about it. No, I don't so, have it. No. No? Len? No. I don't even know what it is. Jake and Bake. It's Uh-oh, we need more questions, guys. This is good, though. What's, What's I-A-O-M? Oh, yeah, yeah. Does have any? I don't know. I don't know. I-A-O-M is a different place. Any questions on my feed? Uh, no, we I got it. Turn, I got it. Urson. No, no, hold Do you, on. I got one. Okay. Well, I was just saying we can, like, turn on uh, Urson's. Oh, Dave's reading mine right now. Check it out. Oh, yeah. What's All the right. question? Do you ever utilize ISTM with active patient movement? Graston Technique seems to be implementing this in their M2 course. If so, do you get better results or better results? I thought that I get better results, but I find that certain people need a different input. They need they need to actually have their movement feel safe, or you know they need to restore end range ability to load, and they need to be able to lift. So I have them do the functional activity, and then I scrape wherever they perceive that tightness or the pain and not everyone's going to need that but I use it more as a, as a progression and then we are actually going to go over that a lot in our upcoming oh, there we go uh, International Academy of Orthopedic Medicine thank you Michael Moore so yes I do do you I stand with movement yes I want to ask my question for everybody in the room There's in the last this in the last five years what was the biggest change in your practice you had from learning or treating people or like shift in your practice five years shift Great movement question. science ah. <laughs> well, in the last five years, what yep. was your biggest shift? Who wants to go first? Len, what was your biggest shift in the last five years? Uh, well, being able to utilize more manual therapy-based uh, treatments. Probably because coming from a busy practice in Birmingham, we saw a lot of post-ops, so I feel like post-ops I got, but the hands-on, being able to really dive into soft tissue and make it what we think is some kind of a change Symptomatically, I don't know what else I'm doing with the changes. Um, people can, you know, maybe Erson can drop some knowledge bombs on that. But I think using hands-on stuff is something I've been able to still work on and try to improve on. Wow. Yours can't be bruising because I know that was a long time ago. Like I, not I only bruised one person in the last five years, and it's only because she asked for it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, because, no, more like because... Uh, her student had to be like, hey, you're, you're doing all this light stuff for like two or three weeks and I'm not going to change. Can you actually use more force? And I'm like, all right, but you might get bruised. And she was better. So, But she was the only one who I needed to in right. so the bru- hundreds of patients. bruising got her better. The amount of force I did. Wow. Just saying. Yeah. She like sent me a picture from like a wet. She's like, look, I'm wearing a skirt. And my hamstring is black and blue, but I've never felt better. Went back to softball. It's been black and blue for three weeks, but I feel better. And I'm like, I don't really know why that happened, but... Wow. So is that is that your answer? No, you can't. No, my answer. What's my answer? Five five years. I went cash based. That's huge. Um, in terms of like looking for the next best treatment, like within five years, I thought breathing might be the thing that I was missing because everyone's always looking for. So you were suffocating. Yes, I was like, man, what? Is, I, I just don't know how to breathe anymore. It's like such a manual thing, and it's not on, it's not automatic like it should be. How do I breathe? So I had to take these breathing courses. Um, I was also looking for how do I help the last twenty percent? How do I help these people who aren't. I thought it might be pain science, that, although I took that in 2002. It, that certainly changed the way I interact with the people, but it didn't necessarily affect my outcomes um, for the most part. Um, so that's I interesting thought, because I a lot of people 
mentioned pain science and how you need to educate and, and, and do all that, but you don't think that well, it's Well, I think my education has changed. I don't know if my health... you, but, but the, the whole point is people getting better. So you don't know if this necessarily... That's interesting. Well, the people I think that need it the most are still people who are so stubborn or they're so their nervous system is so sensitized uh-huh. that you pretty much have to tell them you might have to have pain every day, but we can still strengthen you. Because I have a decent amount of people right. who, who just pay me cash base, and I, I, all I do is train them. Right. I do manual just to get them enough to do a deadlift, or just get them enough to exercise or run, but they kind of know they've accepted. Because that's one big thing in, in for chronic pain sufferers is the people who accept that they've had, they may have some level of pain, yeah. it's the only way they get to moving again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. then I thought it was nutrition, and, and I was looking for, so in the last like three or four years, I really come to the conclusion there's there's really no secret, you know, like everything can work for the right population. Um, and that was, that, that's rough because I think we're always trying to look for something that's going to help yeah. someone better. I took needling and, you know, I think every little thing, like my buddy Charlie Wongraff, I always quote him, anything can work for everybody, but not everything will work for everybody. So is the toolbox important? Yes, but it's only important to, to a point because you still have to know what to do with the people where you also have to know when to call it quits. So that's it's a hard thing. expanding your toolbox. It, yes, that's and what we're saying. You have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> you do. That's what I got out of that. Awesome. Do I have to answer that now? In the last in five, five years? years? Have I you would, practiced in five years? I would say, yeah, so so fresh out of school. Um, uh, I, I would say, what what have I changed? Yeah. What's been the most significant change? I would say I have definitely simplified and gotten a little bit more back to the basics. I feel like I was just as guilty as everybody else, where you're always looking for the next best thing, the next best course, the next best system philosophy. And I, I've gotten back down to, to, I think, just simplifying things. And I, I'm trying to help optimize people beat them. And your activities throughout the day take you away from you. So uh, the obvious examples of baseball pitcher, they throw a ball, their arm gets tight. We need to get them back to being them before they throw a ball again. You sit at a desk all day, something gets tight or whatever, we got to get them back to wherever they are. I want, I want you to be you and just simplify that. And really, that's it. I just want you to be you. How we do that, that's a whole other discussion. But like, I, if, you, if, if that's your philosophy, I think everything just becomes more simple and you don't have to worry about all these advanced type things. Right. You know? We are at the point in our career where we're trying to make everything simple. We even talk Correct. about that on my podcast, right? Yes. We want to automate things. We want to simplify things. And the more courses you take, especially early on, I mean, it took like 30 courses in the first four years and it was it was it made it harder for me right. rather than easy. I, I, yeah. Da- yeah. Well, Dave says it all the time. You know, you, you graduated from college and you're like, you're like searching for the answer. Right. The answer's not out there. Yeah. You know, you, you realize tough pill to swallow, dude. right? And I, I did that with the spine because my early education in Birmingham, we were all extremity. I didn't, I didn't do that much spine, so I felt very, very personally deficient in my knowledge of the spine. So I took all the b- bunch of courses and I did all those things. And I realized after I took the courses that that, that ev- none of them were right. I guess none of them told right. me the thing. It came back down to soft tissue and enhancing movement. And that's it. That's really all it was. It wasn't about like like you know moving things and all this. That's that's not what Depressing it was about. Pressing and guessing. It, yeah, it was that, that's not what it was about. It was about helping people optimize their movement. Yeah. You know. So, but anyway, good question, Dave. That is a great question, Dave. Like it. Jake and Bake, so what do we in got? In the last five years, Dave. Oh, my, my, <laughs> my last three years. Three years. Let's do some from <laughs> Ursa if you have them. Okay. Yep. Mike wants to know what's your thoughts on active release technique. ART. I am. I've taken ART. I think it's great. I love our finger painting. I brush. I think we were doing pin and stretch on polio patients in the '40s. I don't think anything's really, you know. I don't think the uh, trademark name makes a difference. But we use pin and stretch all the time. 
Yeah, I just I just don't call it ART. I call it functional mobilization again because it's a trademark and I can't teach it in my courses. Yeah. I just tend to I, I use I like a lot, it. I use it with PNF. When I pin something down and I have them move actively into it, then I use some sort of direct technique or indirect. I you know I use a hold relaxer or a contract relax because it actually releases a lot better rather than like the whole ten minutes of ow ow ow. Yeah. You get the same effect. You're still moving actively, so you get to fire the motor pattern. But I think isometrics are huge for pain modulation, and that's I, so I teach it with isometrics. Yeah. I, I've, have you taken ART? Have you done anything? It's a great course. You, you spend a lot of time. It's, you spend like I don't know two days, three days. I don't know what it is like doing a lot of work. Their manual is phenomenal. Their manual and DVD, are, they're they're phenomenal. It's it's a good course. Um, it's you know I, I, we use it. It's just you know pin and stretch. It's kind of that simple. <laughs> Trademark that. Pin and stretch. Right. I'm sorry. So do you treat pelvic asymmetry and leg length discrepancy with man with manual therapy? And what's the most common pattern of dysfunction you guys tend to see? What's this? Do you read my blog? Pelvic my asymmetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is. Yeah. Do you treat pelvic like, asymmetry? I treat people who think they have pelvic asymmetry. Great. <laughs> 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 right. um, again, if if you go back to repeated motions, there was a really easy McKenzie study that basically looked at. Uh, radiology um, and, and what they teach is that if, if someone comes to you, regardless of their complaint, regardless of what you're finding in your ortho screens, if you just move them once more reliable, I mean the, the whole stork test, it was something that like even as a student, and then from two years out, I used to do the stork test and I'm, I'm palpating for like PSIS or where I think is S2 and I used to have to like excuse myself and think like, so is this moving earlier? Or is this move later? Is this right on right or left on left? Mm -hmm. And you, you can easily see why there's some of the most, they have some of the most reliability, much less validity of all the ortho tests is because it's not, it's not intuitive what your findings are. And even in what my findings are, then I'm like, okay, now the, what, what, what kind of crazy position do I put them in to like have the piriformis pull the sacrum that way? Like none of it is intuitive. Um, and it's just easier to kind of look at movement and correct movement than, and the next question I have to jump on, actually, people always say, like, well, even if someone is really, they really, you know, they've gotten manipulated, their legs then appear level, and a chiropractor or a PT has always made them better after that, I'm like, look, I can get you the same results, but if I teach you how to do it with repeated motions, and maybe I'll have to do some sort of psoas inhibition or QL inhibition or scraping to get them moving better, but if I can teach you the same thing and you get the same relief, you don't need me or the other clinician. So that's, that's how I sell it, is because... It's like, I'd be happy to take your money three times a week forever, but if I could teach you how to right. do it with, with a simpler thing rather than a passive technique, you know, it's, I'm not against passive techniques, but only when they're used to fix someone without their own homework. So your answer is yes. I treat people who think they have pelvic asymmetry. Yeah. I, I would say I do. I, I would say I, I do the same thing. We, we, we see everybody has pelvic asymmetry. Nobody has symmetrical pelvis. I think it would be super weird if you did. I don't even know if that's possible. Right. Every, um, yeah, so many people have asymmetrical pelvis. I mean, everybody's as asymmetric. I, I would say you go into the leg length thing. I feel like leg length, I don't know if I've seen a real leg length. Structural. Yeah, I mean, leg length is like really pelvic related, and you can manipulate the the posterior and anterior pelvic tilt of, of your pelvis and change your leg length, and that's almost always. That's why I check leg length with them, you know, laying uh, supine and then sitting up. It's different. I mean, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Yeah. Right. That. So it's 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 interesting with leg length. So, um, you know, I, I would say yes, I do, and and part of me is is not necessarily because I'm trying to make you symmetrical, but 
we live life in this false sense of symmetry, right? You squat in this symmetrical pattern as an exercise because that's what you're gonna, that's what you're told to do. So if you are naturally asymmetrical and gonna try to squat symmetrically, it, it may not go as well, right? So you, you try to enhance that a little bit, so then work them within that, but then you just realize that that's normal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> and that comes down to just letting people know that it is normal to be asymmetrical, and you know they come in with the perception that they are asymmetrical and let them know yeah you are but you can still exercise we can still do this and yes the manuals manual therapy to get them over the hump yeah. you know and then they next thing you know they're you know busting out weights i've seen one case of a true leg length that was traumatic and she was probably like 18 she was a first year pt student she was in a car accident and she basically says that she slammed on the brake as hard as she possibly could oh, wow. so when she came in yeah, her, her one foot was like so much lower than the other one. But I mean, it was traumatic. And she was in that population where they say that the SI still moves. Because they basically right. say that the SI moves less than a millimeter from 18 years old and on. So it's, it's unlikely. Although, you know, I see a lot of gymnasts now, and you see a lot of gymnasts. We may work with a population where it still moves and they yeah. still, they're relaxed anyway. Um, and I would say that it's still not even really relevant because, again, you think about the amount of force it takes to actually move something and reposition something, it's way greater than like we can do with our hands. Yeah. Jake and Bay. Right. Uh, Michael Moore again wants to know our thoughts on... Michael on Moore? How many, one, question, one question a podcast, Mike. <laughs> What's that, Jake? Wants to know our thoughts on posterior capsule involvement with uh, biomechanics of throwing. Posterior capsule involvement with biomechanics. Sleep stretch. Every Everybody week. sleep or stretch. Len, you want to take that one? Um... Yeah, what was it? Posterior capsule involvement with, with baseball players? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've done research on it and showed that they get uh, immediate changes in internal rotation after throwing, so I don't know if the capsule is getting tight, but we know that throwing involves a lot of dynamic movement, a lot of dynamic stabilizers eccentrically. So there may be something out there that's showing thickening of the posterior capsule. Uh, whether or not that's relevant, the posterior capsule is very thin anyway compared to the other structures. I think it's more soft tissue versus capsular. Uh, we've gotten away from sleeper stretch because of that, so soft tissue work to the posterior cuff seems to be more effective than putting them in a sleeper stretch type position and cranking on it, which is basically an impingement type position, cranking on the shoulder joint. So I'd be cautious with thinking we can stretch out the posterior capsule with a sleeper stretch. I think we're just irritating the rotator cuff 99 out of 100 times. And we, that's most of the stuff that I see here is people doing sleeper stretch and me having to pull it out. We can't stretch the posterior capsule out. You could have a surgeon do a capsulotomy and, and clip it. Um, so I think we gotta get away from that and focus on why the issue is there. Is it their total motion? Is it their lack of motion? Is it their mechanics? Is it their overuse? Is it their inability to stabilize dynamically? So I think we gotta go towards that, not necessarily posterior capsule. I would say I, I treat the posterior capsule zero percent of the time. Drink a bait. <laughs> All right. What I do. Brett says he lives by the idea that he shouldn't cause pain with treatment, um, but he uses dry needling. <laughs> and how do you reason that? So if he doesn't I feel you, Brett. I feel you. I I I I feel like sometimes we do things that don't feel good. I don't. I don't know. I mean, sometimes squatting doesn't feel good. I mean, sometimes going up the stairs don't feel good. I, I don't know. I don't you know. You got to be able to judge good and bad. Good and bad pain is a tough word. Yeah, if I see somebody who's having like a sweating type moment when I'm doing a needle, then I know that it's not for them. I have revved up their system way too much 
this what that system is, I don't know. Maybe uh, we can talk about pain versus discomfort. I usually use. So if I, I see somebody who's very uncomfortable, then I know that uh, then I know that I've gone <laughs> over their limit, which is different than somebody else's limit, and that's all I can say about that. Postoperatively, yeah. they're gonna have pain. If somebody yeah. has yeah. a knee right. replacement and I need to crank on motion, I'm not killing them. Len, you don't crank on motion. But I, I, you know, I'm not gonna crank. have a total knee. I'm, uh, I'm pushing it with a total knee or an ACL, and I want to see how they respond. So I, there's going to be pain, but some. That, uh, but it's not needed for a total. I, would, I, I saw two tight shoulders today, right? That, like, if I lived by your philosophy you just said where I want zero pain, they're getting super tight. They're getting super tight because they had surgery, and it's not comfortable to have surgery. So you, we got to move through it, and they, they have to learn that that discomfort is not a perceived threat. Not a perceived threat. Here's the thing. I've went, I used to beat on people. I used to beat on people and bruise them every day. I would tell my students, if you don't bruise someone by the end of the week, then you're not being aggressive enough. You used to tell them that? That's I, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. 15, Military, 15, 17 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I got results. And people think that you, know, you get results from putting people in pain, so it ha- it's, it's necessity. I've lost patience. I was telling these guys earlier. I've lost patience who I saw 10 years ago who I refused to beat on now. I still get results, and I, I think actually my patients are less sore because I'm, I'm trying not to cause any pain but here's the thing if you if you live by anything a hundred percent there's certain people who actually come in and they're in constant pain so my rule is just don't elevate their pain and then keep it worse like because you might do something you might have to do a lateral shift correction on someone and and maybe they're getting peripheralization down their leg but you got to straighten them out so get a crank on yeah so just don't just don't make them worse and they should be able, they should be able to walk it off so if if you actually increase someone's existing pain, just make, send them for a walk, and then if they if it goes back down the baseline or maybe it even improves, then that's okay. But in general, yeah, pain is not necessary in most cases. Awesome. What do you think? Let's say one more question. One more. Want to do one more? Let's do one more. Jake. All right. Pick, pick a good one. Is this a good one? Do you feel good about it? Ooh, that's a no. No, no it doesn't feel good about oh Drew's question. <laughs> Drew has a dumb question. So, no, Drew wants to know your thoughts on breathing drills for shoulder mobility. Breathing drills for shoulder mobility. Absolutely. Yes. I think so. Yeah. I mean, thoracic, would you work on someone's thoracic spine for shoulder mobility? I think right. that many people live in their false shoulder mobility. They rib flare and get away with a lot. And so when you teach breathing mechanics to pressing your ribs, Using core engagement, you usually feel like, oh no, and yeah. that can, then you can deal with stuff overhead. That was my Lenny move. That Lenny does that a lot. I love that. <laughs> love that. It's trademark. I think. Remember, <laughs> I'm not gonna say where it came up, but someone's discussion about breathing and throwing IR. Someone said that once. Yeah. I don't know if that's not so much a thing. Yeah. Not. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just more I simple. If, I don't know if he was alluding to that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, so, I mean, if you go by the, like, so PRI-based philosophy and you talk about some of, like, the concepts with with breathing and how that changes it, we can change dynamics of your ribs and how well you breathe and try to, you know, get different, uh, not to get too deep into the the PRI rabbit hole, but to, like, talk those concepts, you will change. You can get increased internal rotation by changing your rib dynamics. The problem is, with bass players, you also get a loss of external rotation, which they need to throw. 
They didn't. You didn't change anything with their bones. You just shifted it there. And, you know. So uh, you know that, that's the concept behind that. I mean, do we do breathing drills for shoulder motion? I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say I specifically do breathing motions for that. But I, I've certainly incorporated it at times, but it's not specifically for that. It's not a cookbook. It's correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. But does it help with rib dynamics? Does it help with thoracic spine mobility? Yes. Absolutely. I think that's helpful. But again, I think this goes back to me trying to simplify things. Yeah. Right. So. And this is all, I think this also goes to the icing on the cake type thing, right? If you have soft tissue restrictions in your posterior shoulder from the eccentric contractions and follow through from throwing, um, that is what it is, right? I can work on breathing all I want, but if I'm not addressing the soft tissue contracture that is occurring from the acute changes of throwing, then we're barking up the wrong tree. You know, you're, so the breathing is like the icing on the cake, but don't forget the cake. Like that. And then we release the diaphragm. Right. Yes, that's right. Release the diaphragm, posterior capsule With mode, sleeper stretch, <laughs> bottom <laughs> bend. <laughs> awesome. Oh, laying, actually. Yeah, well, well, guys, yeah. good news is, Urson and I, we have to run. We appreciate everybody on Facebook Live. I have to run. The Urson, good news is, I have to run? Well, good, yeah, that's great news. Good <laughs> news is, I can't wait to run. Urson and I have to run because uh, we got some filming to do from some new stuff for instrument assisted. So, ISTM technique. We are doing. Uh, we are doing. Called ISTM technique. The Force Awakens. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, we're we, we're going to do some filming. So we appreciate everybody live. Everybody on the podcast. Thanks so much again for joining us. As always, go to mikereynolds.com slash. What's I don't even remember what it podcast. I don't remember. It's, uh, click on the podcast. forward slash ask Mike Reynolds. Is it? I just wow. went there today. Awesome. I submitted a question. So did you really? Yeah. The manualtherapist.com, moderntherapy.com, and edgemobilitysystem.com. Yeah. Go check out Urson's stuff. Urson's the man. You guys probably already know that, though. I don't See? think we're telling you anything you don't know. Wow, you got three domains on your shirt. That's I know. Sick. Well, I only had room for three. I have like seven. GoDaddy loves you. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll do it next time. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Urson, thanks so much for joining us. Everybody here, you guys are the best. Thanks so much. Ask us more questions. Leave us a nice review on iTunes. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynolds.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.